Hello and welcome to Tipsy Tolstoy, Russian literature for the inebriated. I'm Matt Garrisimovich, a PhD student in Russian lit. And I'm Cameron Lalana. Before we get into today's episode, we just want to remind everyone that if you want to hear more Tipsy Tolstoy podcast, consider becoming a patron. If we reach our next milestone over on patreon.com slash tipsy Tolstoy, we'll actually be able to hire an editor and release three months at three, but three months at once. Guaranteed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> release six full episodes every Friday. Uh, <laughs> release three episodes a month instead of two. And speaking of getting closer to our goal, we also want to extend an extremely sincere thank you to our newest patrons, Austin and Zachary. Thank you both so much for supporting the podcast and helping us get closer to that three episodes a month threshold. If you're not interested in Patreon but still want to help us out, you can leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or sign up for our email list on our website, tipsytolstoy.com. It's a great website. I made it with my own two hands. Uh, (laughs) Yes, welcome everyone. This is a podcast where me and my good pal Cameron get to unwind from our week with some Russian literature and a drink or two. This week, we are fortunate once again to be joined by our friend Dr. Catherine Bowers, who is going to help us conclude our three-parter on uh, Alexander Pushkin's Eugene Onegin. We are super excited to uh, get into into the end of the novel uh, with her. Dr. Catherine Bowers is an expert in Russian literature and culture. Her research includes genre, narrative, and imagined geography. Her first monograph, Writing Fear, Russian Realism, and the Gothic, which was published just last month, examines the way Russian realist writers use narrative models from European Gothic fiction in their work and includes a chapter on Gothic tropes in Eugene Onegin. Dr. Bowers has co-edited four volumes, and although ostensibly none of them are about Pushkin himself, all four of them do include a little Pushkin cameo because really, as we all know, Pushkin is everywhere, he is inescapable, and uh, he is eternal. So, <laughs> Dr. Bowers, <laughs> thank you so much for once again joining us on the podcast. I guess we are super happy to have you back. My pleasure. I'm super happy to be back. Do you have anything anything new, exciting going on that you want to plug, that you want to talk about? Um, I did finally update my website. So for those of you who... Yes. <laughs> for those of you who tuned in for my last appearance on the podcast, there was some discussion about whether I would be updating the website, and I have done it. That can yes. tick off my to-do list. So Nice. Right. You can visit it. All right. I'll, I'll drop it in the show notes so for anyone who's like like many of these episodes this is going to be an episode very full of, of show notes so uh like like uh, uh dr Bowers mentioned also uh, her recent monograph will also be in the show notes as well if you're interested in that which you should be it has pushkin right now, all of it pushkin Got pushkin <laughs> and pushkin's everywhere as 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 he should be mm-hmm. haunting russian literature like a ghost Ooh, scary <laughs> Is this the thesis of the monograph? Yeah, no. <laughs> it should be. Maybe this is monograph too. <laughs> There's a specter hanging over Russian literature, the specter of Alexander Pushkin. The um, specter that surprises literally no one. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, before we get into talking about uh, our, our wonderful Pushkin's work today, I want to ask you both, um, Katya, Matt, what are y'all drinking today? I am drinking a glass of Oban. It is mm. delightful. And I actually have ice cubes, so I can do some ASMR here. Oh, perfect. I don't know if that came out. Hey, don't worry. Like like last time, we're going to have some natural ice cubes, and we're also going to have some post-effects ice cubes. Fantastic. So everyone's going to hear the nice ASMR. Good. I'm drinking uh, a beer from Pipeworks Brewing once again. 
I can't help it. I don't pick based on the brewery. I picked simply based on the artwork. Here I have a, you can see on Zoom, everyone listening on audio, you can just imagine what it looks like. It looks very good. It's got it does look very good. Right? It's called The Other Side. It's made by Pipeworks Brewing here in Chicago. It's a Saison Ale. If I'm saying that wrong, you can just come into our Discord and tell me about it. Um. <laughs> For those of you at home, the artwork looks like William Morris on steroids. It's great. I saw it and I was like, I'm going to buy this. And then I was like, it's Pipeworks Brewing once again. How much do I have to say their name until they send me beer for the podcast? We are still destined to find out. <laughs> Cameron, what do you have over here? You have quite the setup. Now yes. I can see your camera. I can see the shame of your setup tonight, <laughs> which is a handheld microphone. Yes, Matt, Matt can see that I'm currently helping a friend uh, move an apartment, so I'm currently recording <laughs> in a partially moved apartment. So we're, we're working with what we got. Well, I have, in the spirit of, of being a little bit a little bit DIY, uh, I've got... Uh, the main drink, actually, was a promise to a friend of mine, uh, Pure Gin. Uh, I honestly don't... And she's going to find this out right now. Don't remember where this joke came from, but now I'm drinking Pure Gin on the podcast. And then in addition to that, I've got um, uh, a Coke, which I poured some tamarind vodka into uh, to keep up with the two-drink. Yeah, so <laughs> a joke that we can't remember on our podcast. Good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's that's it's, that's this is the content you come here for. It's like the intersection um, of the 19th century and the 21st century, pure gin, <laughs> but then also coke with tamarind vodka. <laughs> More or less. More or less. <laughs> this is this is a, yeah. It's actually all about the transition from the old to the new, which is kind of what also uh, Eugene Onegin is about in some ways if you kind of God, that was a killer segue that was a killer segue <laughs> thank, thank flawless. you flawless well let's talk yes let's talk about chapters seven and eight of Eugene Onegin uh, before we get into talking about more about what we all mean here and and so you'll recall that last time we left with uh, the end of as Matt termed it perhaps the greatest duel in Russian literature and I'm going to leave a little silence here in case Dr. Bowers would like to contest that <laughs> I mean, isn't the greatest duel in Russian literature the one that ultimately killed Pushkin? That's a great yeah. point. More impactful. Perhaps. Literally and figuratively. Yeah. Perhaps. All right. Matt, you've been smacked down. That's fair. <laughs> that's, 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 really, that's a good point. Well, in a sli- okay, in, a, in, in, a, in a, maybe the greatest duel in, uh, in Russian literature, although slightly less important than Pushkin's own duel, um, we left last chapter with Lensky dead. Olga and Tatiana grieving and uh, Eugene having fled into kind of into the night, basically, to uh, escape what, what's happened here. And we rejoin sort of the the life of, of Olga and Tatiana after after this. And at this point, um, I can't it's it's some some time has passed. We are going through the glens and we find uh, Lensky's grave, which at this point is not well kept and not visited. And in, in rejoining the family, we find that Olga at this point has uh, has 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 gotten married. Has has found the hand of of a soldier and of is going lancer. off to of a lancer. Yes, thank you. As a, a lancer and is is going off to join join camp with the lancer. Right. I like that this was included in like four lines. Like one of the few characters who's mentioned Pushkin's like okay yeah and then this happened. Anyways, back to this thing. Back to this other thing. <laughs> but it's nice that he puts that nice like phallic imagery right in there. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> You got. You got to make sure you can't leave that out. Nope. <laughs> uh, so we have. We, we after Olga is going off. We have Tatiana basically standing and watching and kind of almost mentally going with Olga, going far away. And at this point, um, 
Tatiana goes and, and wanders herself and eventually finds her way to what was, or I guess probably it still is, Eugene's estate. No longer inhabited by him, obviously, but going and knocking on the door, she's met by uh, the servant of the house who shows her around. And in the future, uh, Tatiana returns to read through uh, Onyegin's library uh, in some ways coming closer to him trying to uh, have a more a better understanding of him getting through his you know her way of relating to the world is through literature so she goes through his although you know towards the end his had quite quite bored him he was not very much interested in his own library and it's mentioned that I think a lot of his libraries in fact um, it's quite stark but only a few of the essential are left at this point well his library is his uncle's library that he's inherited and the stuff that his uncle was into is not what Anyagin is into right mm-hmm. so his uncle has a lot of books about like animal husbandry yeah he, it, and it's not um what what Anyagin is into we learn is gothic novels and byron which like fair gothic novels and byron are way more exciting than animal husbandry <laughs> tolstoy would beg to differ i think whatever <laughs> tolstoy was reading gothic <laughs> novels too <laughs> That's fair. Um, yeah, so she she comes here and, and and kind of in some ways almost becomes gets to know him a little better, and and this continues on. And as she's doing this, the the neighbors always chalk, always talking, always chatting. It's kind of their favorite thing to do. Also, we're still in still in winter at this point, so they're you know getting together, chatting. It's the main thing, and they they are like, man, is is Tatiana not married yet? And I, I believe it's her mother says, you know, um, no, no. And they say, oh, send her off to Moscow. Tons of bachelors out there, um, and they offered to give her money to take uh, uh, to go out to Moscow with Tatiana and, and find her, you know, an eligible suitor, which they agree to. And we then join Tatiana, having been told this essentially and as you might might imagine not super loving the idea walking through the forest which has has raised her saying farewell to everything about her finally saying farewell to you my free existence whither does all my yearning tend my fate it leads me to what end and she's going uh, having been raised in the country she's now being taken off to wonderful glorious moscow as the many epigrams of chapter seven (laughs) i would like us to know about about the wonders of moscow Important here to uh, note that those the lines that you just read are the first time that Tatiana's own voice appears in the text, besides the letter that she wrote. But this is this is the first time, and it's interesting because it's like she herself is actually creating poetry as well. That's true. I guess actually I, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to that, but I, I don't think this does the rhyme scheme hold up in the dialogue normally. Uh, yeah, the rhyme scheme is okay. Throughout, okay. Right? You can't deviate from that Onegin stanza. The ghost of Pushkin will come and smack you over the head. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Um, so we, we're joining this. We actually get to our... Um, to our it's, it's, it's been so long without a narratorial digression. Uh, so we now we now hear, after having talked about Moscow, go into the, the greatness of Moscow and, and, and Napoleon intoxicated with the you know, power of having marched across Russia, having found not a, you know, a supplicant Moscow, but in fact one that has been set ablaze, leaving him in, you know, pensive woe, <laughs> that there's nothing, nothing to, no, no Kremlin keys to take. Always nice to get a nice job about Napoleon in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nerd <laughs> <laughs> we do we do love it that's it's that's something i've been considering before but now that we've been getting into it a lot quite recently it's, it's really it, it doesn't feel really complete without a jab at, at napoleon at some point in in a book mm-hmm. no totally 
<laughs> uh, so we, they, they go to Moscow and they're received by, by their relatives. And, uh, in, and Tatiana is actually brought in quite, quite easily. Um, they, they're like, people ask her a lot of questions to bring her in, but although she kind of fits in at the same time, she is bored by the inanity of, of salon life and finds herself somewhat aloof. Um, you know, the, the, the narrator notes that the, the world's so vacuous that it's got no spark of fun in all its rot. Fair. So, so. yeah, that's fair. Um, and we and she's now a part of this the same life that once Eugene was a part of going to all these soirees and events and and her mother is trying to find her a match and one night at one event um, she is going through and her mother kind of points out to her like oh there's hey, look that guy is staring at you pretty hard uh, and and Tatiana cries out in despair like oh that fat old general over there which is where we end the chapter. Which I and we, I think I don't remember if we noted this last episode or the episode before, but the fact that there is so much time between like the publishing of chapters, and I just love the way each one ends of like between like <laughs> I'm tired, I don't want to write anymore, or that fat general over there, and then you just had to wait a year to figure out what happened next. <laughs> it's got it's got a sort of inherent comedic value to it. I love the way also like if you compare this to Dostoevsky being serialized, like Dostoevsky wants you, he ends on a cliffhanger every time to kind of like pull you along into the next section. Pushkin doesn't care. He's like, ah, maybe I'll write some more. Maybe not. <laughs> I really respect that about this novel, though. <laughs> it's, it's good. <laughs> I, I, I respect the hell out of that Pushkin consistently put like Wattpad endings like, sorry about the last <laughs> chapter, guys. I haven't gotten back to it. Uh, but it's like some of the greatest literature that's ever been put, been put to the page, which mad respect for that. Mm-hmm. Sorry, guys, please upvote me to uh, pl- please vote for my story to uh, push up the rankings. <laughs> yeah, once I get 14 reviews, I'll come back with my next chapter. Uh, <laughs> so we, we join chapter eight, which is initially kind of getting off onto a high note of uh, noting the narrator notes. Uh, and with a smile, the world... Um, and with a smile the world caressed us i can't read my own handwriting this is really bad and with a smile the world caressed us what wings our first successes gave reflecting even at this point on kind of the 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 bounties of youth which are now passed by uh our narrator so at this point it we certainly learn to talk about kind of a you know a lady who's grown quite um prominent in in, in Moscow high society this time, has done a bit of traveling, uh, has made a reputation for herself, not name, but obviously Tatiana, um, after having been married. Um, and uh, through all this, after having spending many stanzas describing her, her you know, sta- her stance here and, and now the, tr- the travel she's been through, we have Eugene uh, coming back to Moscow society, um, who having uh, spent some time as a rambler. Um, and he goes to uh, a you know, a ball. What else are you gonna do? You're in Moscow. You're you're nobility. You gotta you gotta go to the soiree. And he sees, uh, quote, the girl he'd scorned in what he deemed the modesty of her condition. Could it be she who had just turned away, so cool, so unconcerned, uh, from him at the soiree? What translation are you reading? Uh, let me see. This is the. This is the one Ilya says is the best translation. <clears throat> it's the one that's like freely available online. I was like, there's no way. <gasps> You know, it's based on the Nabokov. I don't know who. Mm. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, I, that's fair. Uh, Charles Johnston. All right. You do you. Which one do you read? <laughs> I, I like the Phelan translation. I, that might be... Is that the one I sent you, Cameron? Uh, yeah. Okay. The, the, but, you're the not reading, but you're not reading that one. No, I'm, I'm reading the one you sent me. Oh, to my yes. mind, the Phelan translation, and these are strong words, is the only one that's funny. 
Okay. The other ones seem to like lose. They, they, it seems like they lose their humor when they uh, when they get to the really funny bits. Interesting. I have to, I have to take a look at that. I'm not sure if that tracks. I mean, Johnson is good too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I see. Sorry, Ilya recommended the Phelan translation. I see, but it's his or Sir Charles Johnson, but that's the only one that's available online. But he didn't oh. link them as separate ones, so I see these are now two separate things he was talking about. Ha. Oh, that makes sense. Ha ha. Well, I, you know, good reason to go back and read a second time, which I wanted to do anyway. I'm going to add that one to my cart and compare, because I'm reading the uh, Stanley Mitchell one, just the Penguins classic one. That one has the good cover art. It's, it's good. It's kind of like a Mayday Parade. Um, I mean, know, compared kind of like to all of the art. other cover art, that's the good cover art. Yeah. yeah. So. I think it's 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 got a good introduction, and I think the the text is fine. It's, it's pretty funny. Um, the, the thing that bothers me about this, and it's not necessarily the translator, is the notes are absolutely useless. It has my least favorite type of note, which is, like, like Pushkin would, like, mention something, which is, like, clearly funny and from his own time like like a writer that he's mentioning and instead of explaining why the writer is mentioned here it'll just like say who the writer was and i'm like that's not a useful note yeah Don't that, that note. really is not useful unless you're someone living years. in the 19th century who's kind of familiar right. with people but not familiar enough to get pushkin's jokes <laughs> right like i'm like that's like so i'm not going to flip back and read your notes because they're useless no 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 it's what? Not <laughs> what i what i like what i like to give my students is i tell them you know we're gonna re- i recommend the phelan translation and we do an exercise in class where i take the first stanza of translations of i don't know 25 different onegan mm-hmm. translations and we decide which one we like the best and mm-hmm. i have yet to have a class where the phelan translation hasn't been voted best out of all of them okay. but but um, my students don't always agree with that. Like you'll occasionally have some outlier students, right? Um, mm-hmm. But it does it does preserve the humor. And then I also recommend my students not the Nabokov translation, but the Nabokov footnotes. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Have you seen Have you seen the? I find it really funny. So the the Anyagin that Nabokov translated is like you know two hundred pages or so, and then oh. the footnotes are like six hundred pages. Oh, I think I actually <laughs> I think I have that right here. They have their own their own volume, and they're great. I think they should. I think this is one of the few books that I would read 600 pages worth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it that's it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. It. So many translations. All right. I'm, I'm excited to get, I'm going to get into the Fallon translation because I really enjoyed this go through. So, um, might, might be like, go, it might be like, uh, uh, having my history of reading Pavey Art and Volohansky translations before Matt. Was like maybe we should read this one instead, and then coming back, they're like, "Oh, this is really funny. I like this." Unpopular opinion. <laughs> I'm not going to get into like the the fight about different translations of Russian literature. And <laughs> you can edit out the kind of hissing noise I made when you mentioned that. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Our department gets into like knockdown dragout fights over like one word of a translation. People get really, really excited about it. Um, the thing like, I tell are people: lacerations or not? I don't know. I mean, strains doesn't really make sense there. But the thing is that, uh, I mean, the most important thing about any translation, if you don't know any Russian, is that Mm -hmm. it is the most readable translation for you. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. what I tell people when they ask me, they're like, oh, what's the best translation? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what your reading is like. But what you should do is check out the first page of like three or four of them and pick the one that sounds the best to you, which I think is fair, right? 
it's, with that being yeah, said, Phelan is funny. The other ones are not. Yeah. And Pushkin is funny. So yeah. yeah, I'll just leave it there. <laughs> I think that that's yeah. a good that's a good note on that. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm excited. I'm excited to, to go through and, and have like because uh, I I, I do kind of think the Johnson one was funny, but if this one's like way funnier, I'm really excited to get into it. It's funny in a more updated language kind of way. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, okay, so that's where. We're, oh yes. So after having, going to this ball where he really does not have a chance to chat with Tatiana at all, he's invited to another one and he's like gripped. He's got to go back and he immediately the next night is is rushing to the soiree, which, you know, remember, contrast this to the, the beginning of the uh, of the poem where he's, you know, it, it's not even important enough to mention them. It's, it's important to mention him getting ready and the fact that he stumbles home eventually, but they themselves are not. Now this is the focus. And he is just like his head's on a swivel and he's just looking for it all the time. And he, he sees her, and, and she's described as the unbending goddess daughter of Neva's proud imperial water, the imperturbable princess. She's got a stature, to say the least, uh, to say it in the absolute least way I could for, for the way she's described. Uh, and then my notes here, I just wrote down Onyegana Simp, by which I mean he follows her around after that, carrying her stuff, putting coats on her on her shoulders. Uh, when he comes around, he's very, he's trying to get her attention and she receives him kind of says like has some conversations, but oftentimes will even just straight up ignore him, his presence yep. completely entirely. And the fact that she's ignoring him, that's what makes him want her even more. Mm -hmm. Take yes, note, those of you about... taking love advice from Pushkin. <laughs> <laughs> I like how like two chapters ago, Anyagin was like, yes, you should not give women attention because that will, that will make them want you more. Maybe that was a narrator. Um, and then we get to, we get to see it play out in a way that he didn't think would happen. Oh it's yeah, good. the narrator being like, yeah, back in my, you know back in our parents' back, day, back in my <laughs> day. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you know, like you say, he's he's being driven absolutely wild, and he can't he can't take the fact that she is just completely passing him by. And he writes her a letter similar to the one that uh, she wrote him back in let's say chapter two, back early on. Maybe it was chapter three. Early on, she wrote him the letter. He writes kind of a parallel one, you know, telling her, you know, essentially I was wrong. And he sends that off and he hears nothing. And then he writes another one. And then he writes another one. But he says and I was wrong in the worst possible way. Yes. <laughs> He's like, oh, well, you know, it's too bad that Lenski died. I guess we're all sad about that. Like, too bad we couldn't <laughs> say goodbye properly. Leaving yeah. out the fact that he killed him, right? Yeah. Um, and that's, yeah, no. Too bad we couldn't great. say goodbye properly after I fled in the night and said nothing to anyone. <laughs> and then also adds in the nice kicker. Oh, when I saw you, I could hardly believe you were the exact same person who I rejected all those years ago. Yeah. <laughs> because you're really good now. Like, just very good looking. And I, yeah. I, 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 I cannot. <laughs> I spend a lot of time with this novel not being able to with Onyegin. Yep, absolutely. That's pretty much his, his default state. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good that the, the narrator just lets, well, lets, the narrator wanders him in and out <laughs> in the early days, which is for the best because it hides, well, what happens when you get full force Onyegin? Is um, there full and, force Onyegin, though? That's uh, the question. Full force Onyegin in the sense that we see him for more than like two stances at a time, I think. Hmm. Um, so very lightly. Uh, uh, so even now, after he sends all these letters, it's it's actually even worse for him than before because now she's looking upon him with like this almost sense of wrath, um, uh, and is like not she's not 
seems to care even less and maybe even is angry after all this. Uh, and one day being just driven, you know, further and further, he just goes by, goes to her house and uh, just like kind of essentially barges in on her and we find her uh, holding a letter and crying. Um, and they, they break into a conversation and they begin to discuss um, Tatiana discussing a little bit more existentially uh, about this life, saying essentially, I hate it here. I do not like this life. This is it's quite boring to me. My house, my evenings, all that, uh, all that state. What's in them? All this loud uh, parodying, all this flashy masquerading. She's not really into this. And they, 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 Onyegin doesn't have a huge presence in this conversation. And she's essentially saying that uh, I would have liked to have, I would have liked to have had a simpler life. And she describes to him a wanting what it was before, wanting a, a, a garden, wanting a small house, wanting her books. I'm into that. I get yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all, I think we all understand her there. Uh, and at the very end, she kind of says, you know, uh, I, you know, in a way, I guess I do love it. She doesn't say that. She says, I do love you, Eugene, but this is the life I live. And at that point, her husband kind of walks in and the narrator essentially pulls us back into the fog and tells us that the story's over now and addresses us maybe as friends, maybe as foes, which I think is funny. I think more authors should call their readers foes. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah, and, and closes it there. I feel the like story you need being to less in a weird limbo. Oh, yeah, sorry. sorry. I feel like you need to describe this scene in a different way because you've okay. described it as it happens. But I think a more accurate way of describing it is Eugene and Yagen is left in the drawing room. Tatiana's left. He's stricken. He's upset. He's probably crying. Who knows what he's doing? The door is about to open with the husband about to walk in and find him there. And let's not forget that they're related. It's his cousin, right? And then <laughs> Pushkin's like, yeah, but I mean, you're probably bored already. I'm just going <laughs> to leave it there. Like, I know how you are, reader. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> and it's Pushkin's greatest gotcha, right? Yeah. That's the best true. gotcha yeah. of all. <laughs> I think it's, it must, like Cameron was saying earlier, it must be amplified after it being serialized where you're kind of used to him, like, kind of straying you along. And then you get to the end and you're like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> well, part of it, too, is that it wasn't, it's not like he was writing it and publishing it immediately. He was writing it for the audience in the drawing rooms that he was reading it aloud in, right? So yeah, he true. knew everybody in his audience. He knew how they would react to him. And that's like, <laughs> if you think about your imagined audience, he literally knows everybody in his imagined audience, mm -hmm. right? So all the jokes are there for them. He doesn't care so much about the reader. And yeah. <laughs> they are. I guess that's how you get like 600 pages of footnotes is like, you're not meant to read this. You know? Well, I mean, eventually, yeah, he, he published it, you know, but um, you get the footnotes because his the inside jokes come fast and heavy. And if you're not mm -hmm. part of that inside circle, you're not really getting them. Even arguably when it was sent out and circulated, um, people who subscribed to it, they they weren't in that inside circle either. Right. They weren't yeah. getting all the jokes that he was putting and they would get some of them. But most of them are for that that inner layer. And luckily we have lots and lots of literary critics who have studied the Pushkin time to exhaustion, who have identified every single one of those jokes, which is where Nabokov's footnotes come from, right? It's only yeah. funny if you explain it to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's how humor works. It's only funny if you're like Prince Vyazomsky or you explain it to yes. me, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think nobody will believe me in the last two episodes I've mentioned Vyazomsky 
so 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 much and i think nobody will believe me until you validated me that um this is important every time i see things i'm like i think that was i i think he's like talking directly to his friend here <laughs> testify i wrote an article about prince Vyazimsky. i will send you a link to it please it is please. it is about it. it is about the trope of the dressing gown in poetry of pushkin circle um yes. but yeah Vyazimsky is important and a lot of times pushkin is yeah just talking to his friends one of them is Vyazimsky into the text, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Well, like literally, he does mention him by like by name as a yeah. character in like part eight or seven, um, which is good. Yeah, we're gonna have um, a, a Vyazimsky day where we all wear robes to class. <laughs> yes, Vyazimsky. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm here for it. Well, he does like he does literally. Not only does he mention Vyazimsky by name but he's engaging like directly with many of the things that he wrote like when he's talking about Mm -hmm. Tatiana at the end like oh like how would you like she's like um how would you take such a you know precious you know person and put them into this life with the ranks that bind you so closely which was one of the things that Vyazimsky Mm -hmm. like so detested like that's clearly a a nod to him um in the same chapter that he's mentioned no he's he and all of the people from the Arzimus circle are all over the place in this Mm -hmm. because they are they are pushkin's intended audience right i think we need to bring like circles back like (laughs) it needs to happen yeah no i fully agree no more academia we're just gonna be we're just gonna write (laughs) we're just gonna be circles (laughs) and we get code names code names are key yes yes my favorite Arzimasian code name, I don't remember whose it was, but it's the word two, ch, oo, oo, and then three exclamation points. Good. <laughs> it's a great code name. Pushkin was cricket, if I remember correctly? I don't remember. I feel like they should revoke my PhD. I don't remember. <laughs> no more PhD for you. <laughs> Can't remember Pushkin's code name in the Arzimus circle? You're out of there. <laughs> I think it was cricket. Somebody was definitely named Cricket. But then again, I only have like half a PhD. So, so you don't have to know it yet. No. But no, when no. you finish, you do got to know. Also, inclu- including all the, all the muses. You can't Google the muses anymore. You just got to know them. Yeah, that's, well, plenty of people. I mean, like sometimes they, they hop out on the street. I mean, they're like, what was Pushkin's, uh, you know, name in the Arsabit cir- Circle? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I only have half a PhD. I don't have to know yet. But when you do that's that That's so one, awkward when it right happens away. to you. Yeah, they're brutal. <laughs> they are brutal. <laughs> Yeah, right. I mean, I think it's a good discussion of, of bringing around like how in many ways, like we said, a, a lot of uh, of Onegin is like kind of it's like it's a joke told to your buds, um, it, which I think makes the narrative really interesting. And this, I, don't, I don't know, there's like a lot of things to focus on here. Obviously, the big one, the one that everyone is going to like hold your gunpoint and make you talk about is the parallels between Onegin and uh, Tatiana from the be- oh, and the uh, beginning to the end. But this is something that I actually thought was quite, uh, it was made to me, and I forget what the article was, unfortunately, I'll link it in the show notes, an interesting point that was made that I noted at the time, but sometimes because Pushkin doesn't, you know, make things super clear, doesn't uh, make particular reference, when you we, you know, enter the drawing room and Tatiana is reading a letter and crying, and the implication might be understood to be, okay, she's reading a letter from Onegin, but of course that's never actually said, and could be any number of things, uh, which, I, I don't know, something about the the greater the greater feature of, of of her final speech to him being just you know her reminiscing over the life before not not including him re- really just including the gardens and the books and the life out in the country well and the thing is i think what she loves about him is the anegan that she projected onto him when she was in love with him when she was younger and she's already mm-hmm. realized that that anegan doesn't exist right she realizes that in mm-hmm. book 7 and she's like oh well you know 
figured out the the narrator figures out too he says you know who is Inyegin really he just an imitator right and yeah he kind of is that's right yeah I, I mentioned that earlier that when she reads his books it, it feels like she's getting closer to him but of course the stanza does end as you say well, it's, it? it's not that she's getting closer to him. What she's realizing is that all of the things that she thought she knew about him, he is basically acting out from the books that he's been reading. She finds all of the characteristics of him, and he is trying to be a Byronic hero. But the problem with being a Byronic hero, when Byron writes a Byronic hero, right, that that's one thing. Byron himself is the original. Um, but when somebody else acts like a Byronic hero, that's problematic. That's not your genuine self, right? Um, and it's interesting, too, because Anyagin spends a lot of time, you know, thinking that Lyansky is so awful because he's just kind of like very trite. But Lyansky is original. He mm -hmm. loves the German poets, but the poetry that he's writing himself, it comes from a genuine place. Whereas mm -hmm. Anyagin's Byronism, it comes from Byron writing mm -hmm. about other people. Yeah, that, it's true. And, and I guess in a lot, yeah, to your point, when we're when we're with Lensky in the early days, uh, the narrator does kind of I, not side, but you know, Lensky's reading. I believe the German poets to Olga, and then the narrator has that aside where like, oh, by the way, you should read your own poetry to to your to your friends and family before, of course, re revealing that the narrator himself does not do that. He's he only reads to his his nursemaid, really. But you should. Um, but of course, Lenski is, you know, uh, as it notes, is is in like the, the early throes of his life and is is excited. Whereas um, Eugene is just there and he's bored and he puts up with Lenski in those, in those early days until he kills him. Mm -hmm. Well, and we also get to see what the narrator really thinks about these people. Like if you if you compare the way that the narrator talks about Anyagin kind of roaming around to the way that the narrator memorializes Lenski at the end of book six. There is no comparison, right? Um, the, the narrator gives Lansky this beautiful send-off as a great poet, like a poet who hasn't yet become or evolved, right? He's cut off too soon. Whereas Anyagin, even in the last, even in book eight, the narrator is still asking, you know, okay, so so who is he? Is he a Melmoth? Is he, you know, a Spolgar? Is he? And these are all characters from other books by other people. So it's it's not entirely clear. It's interesting that the narrator, who, I mean, he does kind of insert himself in the text. And he says, you know, Onyegin is my friend. But um, it's interesting that the narrator is still not able to identify Onyegin as an original character, even mm. at the end of the novel. Poor Onyegin. Poor Onyegin. <laughs> Although, honestly, poor Tatiana, she has to listen to him for, talk about himself. For real. <laughs> for, like, the whole book. Uh-huh. Speaking of Tatiana, we didn't talk about it too much last episode because I know you wanted to... Talk about it a little bit. Tatiana's dream. Yeah. Um, in our Twitter messages, you said, it's all gothic, winky face. And I said, okay. <laughs> it <laughs> is all gothic. Podcast. Um, I wanted to talk to you about the gothic a little bit and why it's important, why you're interested in it. What is the gothic? Um, we have a lot of listeners that maybe don't know. What is the gothic? Why does it have this influence in Russian literature? Even more broadly, you can pick, you can pick any of these questions to answer. These are a thousand questions. Um, yeah, y'all should read my book, but I will, yes, give a short, I will give a short answer. And that basically <laughs> is that, so in the late 18th century, um, people in Britain to start with started writing what we would call gothic uh, fiction. And this is fiction that kind of... Um, focuses on the macabre, on the creepy. It has a goal in uh, frightening its readers. 
um, it, it becomes quickly satirized, parodied, right, by other people who are writing um, in this mode. Um, and it is it becomes extremely popular. So gothic novels um, is kind of like, you know, going to a scary movie today. You, you get into it because you want to have those thrills. Um, and the 18th century, obviously, scary movies don't exist. So people get into gothic novels. Um, it spreads across Europe. Uh, people begin writing lots of gothic novels. People begin translating gothic novels. People begin translating gothic novels and pushing them off under the names of prominent gothic novelists that didn't necessarily write them, or pushing their own gothic novels off under the name of as translations of prominent gothic novelists that didn't necessarily write them. I wrote an article about this. I will also send it to you. Um, and read in the show notes if you're interested. Yeah. So, for I example, am. Anne Radcliffe, um, who wrote The Mysteries of Udolpho and several other gothic novels, she was the most famous bestseller writer in late 18th century Europe. Um, and she wrote four novels, five novels. She wrote five novels, and then she kind of went on hiatus and stopped writing novels. But she was still super popular, so people started translating Anne Radcliffe and uh, novels by other people showed up under her name. And if you look in the book catalog of the Russian library, of the Russian National Library, you will find 22 individual titles by Anne Radcliffe. But she sure didn't write 22 books. Um, and these are books by other people, <laughs> books that have been, um, some of them are Russian novels that have just had her name put on them. Some of them are novels by other people that have just had her name put on them. But anyway, um, I'm getting a bit off topic. But <laughs> I'm, so I'm people, I'm people yeah. really liked reading Gothic novels. And um, this was considered to be very, for lack of a better word, trashy fiction. Uh, precisely because it was written in a kind of formulaic way. Um, when you pick one up, you didn't necessarily know everything that was going to happen, but you could kind of anticipate. There was a series of, there were there were a lot of conventions that were expected. So a lot of Gothic novels um, take place in a castle with like a contested inheritance, and there's a haunting, um, or they take place in a monastery, and there's evil monks who are doing terrible things, or they take place... I don't know. I'm running out of ones. There, I mean, there's there's lots of different options for where gothic novels can take place, but these are kind of some of the famous ones. And often um, it would turn out that, you know, the ghost isn't really a ghost. Sometimes it would be a ghost, sometimes not necessarily. Um, but anyway, people loved reading this stuff. And the, maybe the most influential gothic novels in Russia were um, Mysteries of Udolpho, for sure, by Anne Radcliffe. This was super mega bestseller. It's also extremely long. It's like 800 pages long. Um, and the poor heroine goes through a lot. Um, she's at one point kidnapped by bandits. She's, uh, her entire family dies. Spoilers. Um, she, <laughs> she ends up being held in a castle by her wicked step-uncle, who eventually uh, does away with her aunt and tries to marry her. Like, various things happen. Um, this is the entire plot of a series of unfortunate events, but in... A series of unfortunate events is actually spoofing off of these gothic novels. So, yeah. Really? Okay, that makes sense. Cameron, you were a literary genius. Look at you. <laughs> <laughs> Let me stick it. He knows what he's talking about. Um, but, yeah. So... Um, and then The Monk by Matthew Lewis, and then I would say Melmoth the Wanderer by Charles Maturin. And there are others as well, but these are kind of the big ones. Um, Charles Maturin's Melmoth the Wanderer, published 1820 in England. We know Pushkin had a copy. He was reading it. He writes it into a Um And this is, this is one of these novels where 
you know, someone finds a cursed manuscript and then they're, they they end up getting rid of their soul and then wandering around for a long time trying to find their soul. Various shenanigans happen. The devil shows sure, up. Sure. It's a whole thing. Yeah. Um, these are very entertaining, <laughs> by the way, which is how I got into them. Um, I, yeah. They are very fun to read, um, especially if you enjoy really... Uh, I don't want to say hilariously bad, but I'm going to say it. Hilariously <laughs> bad literature. Like, I I, let, I I appreciate them for what they are, um, but they, they are pretty fun. Um, and I mean, they were they were written to be pretty fun, right? Uh, so, like, um, one of the really famous ones in the Castle of Otranto, which is the first gothic novel, um, <laughs> a character is just crushed by a massive helmet that operates and falls on him. And it's not clear why. It's never explained. Um, and I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Yeah. I'm I'm here for this because when I was in, like, maybe third or fourth grade, I had a teacher who said, um, you know, the thing about all of your writing is you just write things and you don't explain why they happen. And I, I don't remember who that teacher was, but, you know, if she happens to be listening, I'll have you know, you can do that. A doctor <laughs> told me that you can do that. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. in chapter five of Eugene and Yegan, <laughs> pivoting us back, um, yes. the epigraph is Please. from a narrative poem by Zhukovsky, which is called Svetlana. Um, and this is based on these Gothic ballads by um, Berger, German poet. Um, he wrote uh, the main one it's kind of based on is called Lenore. And um, this this ballad is about Svetlana it's very it incorporates a lot of slavic folklore into um its fabric and basically svetlana her groom dies and then gets raised from the dead and she goes on this adventure with the corpse of her groom it's a whole it's a whole thing okay um and so <laughs> pushkin when he's writing this into uh, as the epigraph of um this this chapter that is very much based on uh you know tatiana not only reading a diction a dream dictionary to decode her dream but also having this very weird dream where it does get scary like she she gets chased by a bear in the woods at night and then she ends up at this kind of satanic party various things happen it forecasts the future yeah it's gothic and then when she goes to the party um later in the chapter the exact same thing happens again right um even to the point that some of the phrases about the party guests are copied from descriptions of the the guests at the satanic gathering in her dream so it's it's it it kind of mirrors and foreshadows but foreshadows the death of lansky which is creepy it's creepy tatiana doesn't get that out of it because the dream dictionary she's reading is not great but we the reader we understand when we see what's happening there yeah do you have an article on that that is chapter two of my book all right, we'll link the book again. Twice, I don't mean to plug the, the book so much, but no, this is a great. I, I, I'm gonna, gonna go no, I, no, don't mean to plug the book. <laughs> the book. The book. Speaking of but. specters that have haunted us for a decade, <laughs> um, I wanted to double check no, that. I, I didn't think I about the, the list. I didn't think about the language being copied from dream to party. That completely went just whew, over my head. Um, but this is the great thing about reading Onyegin multiple times. It's like mm -hmm. anytime, just there's a lot that will come back. Yeah, absolutely. And the um, the thing that's interesting about this is it all points to the in the dream, Onyegin becomes like the gothic anti-hero. He's the gothic mm -hmm. villain. Um, and I would argue, or I argue in my book, that he becomes the gothic villain 
through he becomes like an empty shell of a person who infects and makes all the events in the novel happen but there's no substance there he's just an empty kind of like wraith yeah i mean he's just kind of an an imitation i guess by the end so it's it's interesting way to think about him right all right well you've convinced me i'll buy buy the book i would recommend the book is expensive y'all so i i would say don't buy the book but have your library buy the book yes have your library buy the book and then check it out and read it that's what i meant paying for books i don't think so I'll email my subject librarian and say, please, can I have this book? (laughs) And she'll say, maybe. Buy the book if you can. Uh, If not, if you can go to your local uh, university library, like I do quite often as a non-student, they'll they'll probably still be open to helping you. And uh, a lot of options online for Mm -hmm. requesting books through library catalogs. uh, And they'll help you through that. There's a lot of cool resources, which I've been finding as been trying to trying to do research as a non-student. There are there are options. Yeah, but let's not tell my editor that I announced in public, don't buy the book, right? No, you said very clearly, buy the book for the full price, which is $1 million per book. Buy the book for the full, very expensive price, which is brought (laughs) about by academic publishing in the contemporary (laughs) age, but also encourage your local library to uh, acquire it. it. Yeah, absolutely. So that you can read it. Mm -hmm. This this is what we all heard you say. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. It's like the difference between Tatiana's dream and the party. <laughs> but yeah, um yeah, that's yeah. Thank you for for covering that. This is I in so many ways this this uh not not that it should be, but the this whole poem kind of is not Eugene Onegan, it's Tatiana. I do not remember her last name unfortunately. Larry? Larna. Larna. There you go. Yes, thank you. Uh yeah, Tatiana Larna. Uh, uh and and Onegan's there. And, yeah, uh, technically is the point of view character for a while, but well, I mean, it's called Onegin because it's called Eugene Onegin because everything is focused on Eugene Onegin, even though most of the focus on him is related to other people reacting to him, right? That's true. And the way that he, he moves other people through the text. Speaking about books, I would argue that this is a book, this is a book, it's a poem about reading and writing, hmm. not necessarily so. about any of the other stuff. How so? Okay, so reading in this book um, is how Onegin becomes Onegin, right? Mm -hmm. Because he is imitating Byron. This is what informs his character as we see his character that touches off everything else. We also get to know Tatiana through her reading. Other characters are all introduced through their reading. We know her mother is really fond of Richardson. This keeps coming up to the point that like her past love... We don't know what happened exactly there, but they've got a nickname for him based on a, on a Richardson character, right? Um, and so reading becomes extremely... Grandison? Grandison, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, reading becomes extremely important in the text, but writing also. Um, characters are able to write to create. The narrator is writing and creating, and writing arguably shapes the way that writing and the relationship with the reader arguably shapes the entire way the text is structured right this becomes a meta a a meta narrative um in that it is so much focused on the experience of the reader reading it and the writer writing it the narrator writing it Mm -hmm. right um and so when we read it ourselves our own reading we have to critically think about what we're doing through that act of reading which becomes really interesting and when anyagin is revealed to just be kind of like a cipher that that casts kind of questions about our own reading and the way that we understand the world through our reading. Both reading and writing in the novel can be genuine, right? Um, but 
they can also be fake. And that is what Pushkin is, um, I think, cautioning us about. I like that. I mean, I think it's it is telling, obviously, that it takes mm-hmm. Pushkin until like basically the end of the novel to talk about the imitation of Byron. I think we've talked about that in well, I mean, I've mentioned briefly that in previous episodes, just because I've had knowledge of the book um, in general, but the Napoleon and Byron connection to Onyegin and the way he kind of models his behavior off of that is is interesting. But yeah, thinking about like kind of chronologically, the fact that it's like really only towards the end of the book and your way out that um, Pushkin like nods to you unless you know that is, it'll make you rethink how you've read the book. That that idea of imitation starts at the beginning when Inyagin starts making jibes at Lyansky about Lyansky being an imitator because mm-hmm. Lyansky is super into German romantic poets. Um, but Lyansky's not exactly imitating. He's more like internalizing, learning from, right? Mm-hmm. He would not consider himself to be a German romantic by any means. Whereas if you asked Inyagin what his deal was, he would spout some Byronic nonsense at you. Certainly. For sure. Yeah. So bored of his books that he doesn't need to engage with their ideas. He has his own to tell you. Would tell you at length if he wasn't too smart for you to to, to learn, for you to learn about them. <laughs> I do want to ask, while we're here, I also don't think it's from the section that we're supposed to be covering today. But but I mean, I feel like we've transcended all the sections now that we've reached the end. This yeah. Kind of, yeah, I think that's kind of the part of like the end. It's like the part for like lingering questions. I posed this in the last question, or in the last section, and I can't quite figure out exactly what, like... Is this a satire on this? What What is the deal? Why is Tatiana the perfect Russian woman? Okay, so Pushkin says that Tatiana is the perfect Russian woman, and then a bunch of people after Pushkin, including Dostoevsky, say that Tatiana is the perfect Russian woman. Right. Um, and I can recommend you all an article about why Tatiana is the perfect Russian woman. I will send <laughs> okay. that to you. It's called Tatiana. Original title. Sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Much like Eugene Onyegin, just Tatiana. Just Tatiana. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, we all know what you mean. Like, yeah. But, but the thing is that Tatiana, so she goes mm. through here and she's the only character that experiences growth <clears throat> as a character. Like, she, she develops, she experiences growth. She's the only kind of genuine character who, who doesn't appear to be mm-hmm. fake at all, right? Um, and she lives up to the ideal that's placed on her at every step of the way. Mm-hmm. So whether you want to ascribe that to her Russianness or not, I don't know. But as an idealized female character, yeah, she is she is an idealized woman character. Hmm. Written by a man, just putting that out sure. there. But yeah. Hmm. That is All interesting. Right. I, I guess we always talk about Dostoevsky writing uh, women in, in many ways as... Uh, and maybe if you want to take... Uh, um, uh, if you want to uh, argue with this characterization, it's totally fair. Uh, Dostoevsky often writing women as less as individuals, but rather as symbols, especially as symbols of Russia. Um, I think it's interesting that, like, like to, you, you pointed out right earlier that briefly when Tatiana is leaving uh, the countryside to go to Moscow, she has this moment in which she finally has her first lines of dialogue where she expresses this goodbye to freedom. Um, and she's got this, this interestingness this interestingness she is a character who is representative of so much she's like the perfect even in the story she's this perfect um like princess of of the of of moscow society and yet when it gets down to it she's got personal character she's got this this sense of no i hate this i want to go back to my own my garden i want to go back to this this the life i loved and lived um which in in many ways almost it feels like it feels like a rejection of a symbol where she she at her whole life 
in many ways has been the symbol, either a symbol of like, okay, that like my, your parents, like not getting her to go marry this guy or whoever the guy is for, for marriage purposes, or later on after marriage, becoming the, 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 uh, goddess daughter as, as the text calls her, but mm-hmm. she, she just wants, wants, she just wants to read books and, and, and garden, which is like a, a thoroughly human thing, which so few characters honestly get, which is interesting that, that if so many characters, so many, um, People have have essentially looked at her as a symbol too. When and uh, to my to me at least, her final words are just, "I'm not a symbol. I'm just a person who would like to live mm-hmm. a life where I don't have to represent anything, and I just get to have simple joys." Yeah, I agree with that. I don't know. I don't. I don't really like so much calling characters symbols. I like to think of them as fully realized people. But sometimes you can't. You can't quite help that. Like with Inyegin, for example. Um, the text, the way that the text treats him, calls him, yeah, he could be a fully realized character, but we don't see that aspect of his character so much. Um, but in terms of Tatiana, I, I think she's fully realized, and she's the only character who, from the beginning of the novel, has a very clear idea of what she needs, what she wants to be happy. I feel like Lyansky has a clear idea of what he needs to be happy, but he's not, he, like Tatiana when they're, when they're younger, um, mm-hmm. he, he doesn't have a real good way of reading other people. So just as Tatiana misreads Inyegin, because she's reading different books. And so while Inyegin is imitating Byronic Hero, Tatiana's not reading those books, she's reading Richardson. And so Inyegin comes across as being like this romantic hero, right? Um, mm-hmm. Which is the danger of reading. The danger of reading. But <laughs> Don't read. You heard it here. Don't read. Problem, like Novels can be problematic. Um, <laughs> but this is a direct quote from like 19th century critics mm-hmm. who thought that reading novels would act. I'm using their words here, addle women's brains, mm. but whatever, <laughs> if we get past this nonsense. So, yeah. but Lyansky too, he, he has this vision of Olga that is entirely based on his own projection onto her from his own reading, but the narrator cuts right through it. I picked out my favorite line in the thing, which is chapter four, stanza 34. Um, and this is a Phelan translation. By thoughts of fame and freedom spitten, Vladimir's stormy soul grew wings. What odes indeed he might have written, but Olga didn't read the things. And I feel like, <laughs> I feel like, um, you know, it's, it's uh, again, a, a case of misplaced or misprojected um, mm. idealism onto her, right? Just like Tatiana is doing. Liansky doesn't get to learn. He, he doesn't have that opportunity, although we understand that he would have, right? But Tatiana mm-hmm. does. And so the thing that I have problems with is when she says she loves Anyagin at the end. I believe that she loves the Anyagin from her child, from her girlhood, but I do not believe necessarily that like she loves the Anyagin mm-hmm. that's writing her all these letters and being very awkward at parties. <laughs> <laughs> that, that it doesn't ring true to her at all for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I mean, to your point about characters being uh, looking at characters as as uh, fully realized people rather than like symbols, which I think people, not people, we all have this tendency to do, especially in Russian literature, which has this kind of uniquely vaunted position, which I think kind of it, it makes it easy to do that uh, rather than looking at, at characters as an attempt to fully realize people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that that's interesting. That this is this is something that I have I've really enjoyed about coming to Pushkin. Uh, for this podcast, like I, like I've said before, I, I did not read a lot of Pushkin other than like just translating poems to, to learn Russian. Uh, that that uh, Pushkin has this like really just incredible ability to bring people to life and and like just easily 
bring fully realized people onto the page who are just a joy to follow along with as <laughs> if you knew them as if like you're reading the creative you know nonfiction of your friends but of course it's someone who's what three four hundred years dead definitely not 400 years dead yes. he, he, One million years he dead. died in 1837 people Eight, yes. yes so that's like less than 200 years but it feels like 400 r.i.p alexander the ghost <laughs> the ghost <laughs> been haunting us for 200 years before he was born <laughs> for real whatever avakum was like pushkin he's coming <laughs> he will soon be here <laughs> All right. Yeah. Do we have any closing words? Um, Everyone should read Pushkin. He's great. Yes. I feel like he is. Read a translation that you like. Read the beginning part of it. Read the beginning part of several translations and find one that's actually funny. Reading non-funny translated Pushkin is just sad. Don't do it to yourself. (laughs) No. I think yes. it, he did us all a service with us because the, the first chapter is the funniest chapter. So it's very easy to assess. I would argue the you whole know, thing is it, funny. It is, but the first one is... Mm. The first one is pretty funny. It's but, pretty funny. But yeah, check check your chapters and make sure that the humor is coming out in whatever translation you decide to read. Mm-hmm. Just because yes. it's free doesn't mean it's funny. <laughs> it's a good note. It's a, good, it's a great, great note. It's a great note for certain people on this call. <laughs> <laughs> I feel I feel real added for for reading the copy that it was sent to me by the other person on this call. No, don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, at least that's you fair. have the Nabokov footnotes, so you'll be able that's to true. really uh really dive in there. Yeah, and what it lacks been, in humor, you will have in detail. It's it's been such a week in the Bokov. I I've, I've got a coworker who's been reading uh one of the many books that have like have been have been written about Lolita, uh, and she's been ex- explaining it to everyone else. And I got to be like, okay, well, I'm not I don't, I'm not going to defend Nabokov, but let me let me just explain to you the plot of Lolita before we get into this. So it's already been it's already been a troubled week in the Bokov because you don't want to be that guy. You're like you really don't want to be that guy. You don't. No. You, you don't. don't. You really do not want to be. But everyone else doesn't has not read Lolita. You're like okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, let me give you 30 seconds because I don't want to give Because if I do more than 30 seconds, you have a legal right to kill me. Uh. <laughs> I don't know. The, the Nabokov novel that I like is The Gift, and it's delightfully free of pedophilia. So that's okay. has some Chernyshevsky <laughs> content. Okay, that's good. I can appreciate that. If you it's a low bar. We, we do we will with, with Nabokov. Well, I remember <laughs> last, time, last time when I was on here, we were talking about what is to be done and The Gift. It has definite uh, intertextuality with what is to be done. So... If you don't reference what is to be done in your Russian novel, I can't consider you a Russian novelist. <laughs> you're not At least doing one it of right. your novels must reference Chernyshevsky. <laughs> what is to be done? <laughs> what is to be done? I must know. The, the other specter that haunts Russian literature. <laughs> Literally, though. Yeah. It makes you feel really blessed that when we were in Russia, our, our stop to get to... Uh, to get to, to our, our university was Chernyshevsky. Oh, <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. So. nice. I did not appreciate it then, but it haunts me now. <laughs> I mean, that's the way to go. That's yeah, the way that's to true. Go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I feel like we've we've exhausted our Onegin. I've had a good chat. Are For we now. Filled, are we filled with enough on we to stop? That is the question. 
I I mean I feel like for one episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like I think the ennui the meter things to, is it? <laughs> yeah, the important thing sticker. is to to be consistent with the ennui. To make sure that they, people like it's not it's not all about like the, the macro dose it's about making sure that they don't realize that there's another option yeah you have to balance yeah exactly otherwise you end up like a Yegan and who wants that <laughs> you can't have that nope. no. it doesn't end well for him i mean we don't know what happens but we can't imagine that it ends well no yeah no it doesn't yeah. seem like it would no <laughs> This is this is this is the new this is the new dare. Don't be like Onyegin. I mean, the best outcome is awkward conversation and then lifelong kind of regret embarrassment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the good scenario, right? I mean, it's not <laughs> it's not it's not great. Have you no. all seen the movie with Ray Fiennes and Liv Tyler? Yep. No, which which movie? Onyegin. Oh, oh no. no. It's very unfunny. We should, we should. And the the last scene involves many close-ups of Ray Fiennes looking soulful and unfortunately very much resembling his later character of Voldemort. Um in an in an un un I'm gonna say unpalatable kind of way. Um but after sure. the end of the movie, spoilers, Anyagin is left to walk alone around Petersburg pensively pensively himself, um, by himself. And that's kind of it's kind of sad. It's a gorgeous movie. Um, mm-hmm. okay. but very much not at all funny. They've clearly read, I don't know what translation, but <laughs> one without any humor whatsoever. I'm still We're not, not going to sure add any particular that. translation, but how did they definitely get one of the unfunny cast, ones. Though, to do that, to agree to that. They're like, here's a movie. It's not good. Do it. But you'll have really, like, really beautiful costumes. That's, That's true. That's true. You will. And let's not forget that it was 2001, a time before. That does help. Lord of the Rings or the Harry Potter franchise. A dark time, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I've, never I've never seen, seen either wait, of those. Ninety nine. It came series, out in nineteen ninety nine. Did it really? Oh my goodness, that's so old. Right? That's how I they got people to do it. One years old at that time. Ray Fine still had a nose. This <laughs> was the whole thing. Oh Ray. You were one year R. old R. in nineteen ninety nine? Yeah, it was. Oh, I feel like Pushkin. You know how Pushkin always <laughs> says like he's getting older and approaching mortality and like mm-hmm. me too. Me too, y'all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in nineteen ninety nine I was a college freshman. Okay. Well now Time, you're doctor, so that's pretty cool. It fleets, you know, it flies. <laughs> <laughs> Wither our lives, y'all. Wither our lives. I know I like I, to I, I my coworkers specifically oh. so the undergrads wouldn't confuse me with them. I'm not one of you. Don't talk to me, please. <laughs> <laughs> I like to do to my coworkers uh, until they reveal that they're older than me, because that's that's like the best. That's like the best scenario when you're making jokes about how old you are until you realize like half of them are older than you. Which is not not half my coworkers are older than me. Only a select few are, but yeah, this isn't making me feel better, y'all. <laughs> well, we can end the episode. Sorry, uh, the, the 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 we were better at this when we we're not uh, like two beers deep. Well, two beers for Matt. A couple shots of whiskey, a couple shots of vodka for me. It's I feel like it's fine. I mean, ending with our own mortality is uh, it's a good way to go out with Pushkin. <laughs> the burnished monument. See, yeah, I, I appreciate this. Matt won't. Matt, Matt will not duel me. I've been asking him, like, Matt, can we get, <laughs> can we get black powder weaponry and duel? And he will not do it. And you've even learned how to from reading Anyagin. Yeah, exactly. 
I think Cameron doesn't under like he doesn't really respect the institution, which is my problem. <laughs> and like he won't insult me hard enough to actually make me want to duel. <laughs> he asked me like a gentleman, Matt, will you duel me? And I'm like, no, Cameron, you need to really insult my honor because that's what I care about. That's what drives me as a character is my honor. And he won't do it. I feel like I feel like it's never gonna happen at this rate, Cameron. Yeah, I, I need to. I need to be more insulting. This is this is the problem. He's this is simply a character polite. building moment that I need to. I, I need to polite. insult. I don't want to insult you, Matt. But if we, if yeah, I mean, I, can like, I, how are you yeah. gonna duel someone and not insult them? Like <laughs> you have to. You have to get on that. Like if you said, Matt, you record on inferior podcasting software. <laughs> I would say, well, you're correct, but I'll duel you over this. <laughs> you know. I'll do you over the honor of the podcasting software. It may be inferior, but... Audacity is open source. <laughs> so, All right. You know. well, at some point in the future, we'll, we'll find a good... We'll, we'll, we'll rope you in, uh, uh, Katya, of trying to figure out what's a good insult to make Matt finally shoot a gun at me. Um, Dibs on uh, Katya is my second. Y'all, I don't want to incite or support any kind of violence. <laughs> All right. No, it's gonna be really so good. I'm gonna, I'm gonna a over here. I'm gonna like open. I'm gonna open the case, and I'm gonna like hand. I'm gonna hand like one of us. It's gonna be a randomized. One of us just gets like a modern handgun. The other one gets like a, a flintlock pistol. It's completely random. You like throw the dice up in the air. Y'all, this is going to a dark place. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. This is the well, part where Cameron edits it out, and it becomes Patreon only. No, this is the part where I leave it in because it really makes me laugh. Uh, <laughs> Anyone who's gotten to like this point in the episode, you've deserved it. <laughs> you deserve what you've gotten. Mm-hmm. Well, um, <laughs> we'll let, let, let's suspend, a, extend a, a warm thank you to Dr. Bowers for being here for this incredibly chaotic episode. Yes. Uh, thank of, you. And helping us learn about the Gothic. Thank you. I hope I've also helped you learn about Pushkin. Yes. Not just Absolutely. the Gothic, but also Pushkin. All, all, all of the, the above. above. The Pushkin, the Gothic, and proper dueling etiquette so i can finally insult matt so he'll shoot i mean shoot you should have gotten the proper me. dueling etiquette from pushkin's parody of it in, <laughs> in uh, chapter six right absolutely that's true that's, I, that's I should have i should i should have paid closer attention i i'm, I'm really inter- interested in the insults i can find i can find the rest of it i can find you know a non-insulting second but i just need a good insult you need mm-hmm. to look in those naboka footnotes <laughs> he is on it about the dueling i'm gonna right, 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 right now <laughs> Okay, everybody, I must ask, now that we're at the end of the episode, I don't know if I asked last episode because we've been <clears throat> slacking on our accounting of drinking. I must ask, on a scale of one to Yeltsin, how has everybody fared on this fine evening? Y'all, I have to tell you, I'm kind of like out of Brezhnev. Oh, um, like okay. Like, pretty sober, only done with about half my drink, can feel okay. the eyebrows growing. <laughs> That's right. That's how it they, goes they sometimes. Tripled in size after the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Cameron, I must hear from you. Uh, I had an indeterminate amount of gin at the start of this episode. I've been drinking vodka since then, so I'm gonna I'm gonna throw myself not equated in like an eight for the first episode, but definitely a seven for now. Okay. Uh, how about, oh, how about you, Matt? I oh. see. It's a numerical scale, not a scale of like well, revolutionary leaders funnier. of Russia. No, no, no your scale our scale ends. Our scale ends at Yeltsin. It's not really numerical. It, some people might think it ends at 10, but it doesn't. Okay. The numbers are irrelevant. Okay. Uh, so Unfortunately, I'll give just numerical it's, 
for for Cameron to be to one up him because I think I'm gonna eat. So because this episode, I, I drank I drank my beer, and then instead of refilling, so I was interested. I drank the uh, the Jack and Coke that was off to the side from earlier that I had poured but had not finished. Because mm. as a promise to our patrons and Discord listeners, I promised you I would drink more on the podcast because clearly that was what was missing. Um, yeah, for the magic. That was the, the feedback episode. we got on the last episode where I was so drunk that Matt had to cut me off to end the episode. Uh, <laughs> they wanted more of that. That was that was the feedback. Yeah. So, you're welcome. I'm not sure in these states that y'all should be dueling at all. Like, firearms, I feel like you just don't need them. Probably not. Nope. No. No. I mean, but, I mean, it'll probably be fine because we're this drunk and we duel. Uh, we're not going to hit each other. But like, how will you know? <laughs> we've already written, we've already written notes like on Yegan. I can't. got to cut that one out. <laughs> no, I won't. Um, so this is my favorite thing where Matt is like, "Please cut that out," and I said, "No, I simply will not cut that out." Uh, I listen to this every week, and I'm like, "What a jackass!" Just leaving this in, leaving explicit notes to cut, and he doesn't. Unbelievable. Um, and. Sp- not speaking of, this is unrelated, but Matt, uh, what are we going to be reading next time? Because it's slightly different than, than Onyegin, but definitely related to the experience of uh, your friend um, really really uh, getting, not getting on your nerves, but, you know, your friend, your friend, uh, no, getting on your nerves. Where are you going with this? <laughs> I've only read 80 pages of this book so far. I, was, I couldn't finish the joke. Okay, good. Uh, next episode, we are excited. It's our first author interview we've ever done well that's exciting um, i know yeah. it's really exciting Who we're gonna it? be sitting down with uh christina gorchevin newberry she is a russian armenian writer and she is the author of the orchard which you can pick up through our any of our affiliate links or if you just think wow tipsy tolstoy podcast sucks i'm gonna pick it up on my own and not support them you can do that too can i say something though before you close yeah, yeah please do. do so thank you for inviting me i've had a wonderful time today absolutely thank you. well thank but you i mean coming. i like talking about pushkin <laughs> As we all should. We, we, we always enjoy having you on, so that, that, that was perfect. It was great to finish off on an enlightened note. An enlightened note who could tell us, Matt, Cameron, here's how you insult each other to do a duel. Also, maybe don't duel each other. Yeah, not dueling each other just seemed like good life advice. <laughs> like, if that's the takeaway from this episode, I'm good with that. It's going to be hard <laughs> to do the podcast afterwards, for sure. <laughs> it would make the podcast very challenging if you, you know... Decision. Mm. drunkenly dueled each other (laughs) (laughs) and before we actually get going today we wanted to introduce a new segment because we got Mm -hmm. a reader email the other day which made us both laugh a lot and we wanted to read it to all of you so in reference to last episode in which i mentioned that i've been reading both edward limonoff and uh paulo freva which i don't believe I, i i don't think controversial take uh you know alphabet agencies of the u.s government shouldn't have people on lists but i mean if you're reading edward limonoff and paulo ferrera maybe you should be on a list maybe i should be on a list you are on a list don't worry <laughs> yeah I, <laughs> almost definitely uh, so after mentioning that we got an email from rachel uh thank you rachel who <laughs> wrote and i read verbatim there was at least one person listening to your podcast this morning who has read both paulo ferrera and edward limonoff I was not, however, a Cement Chapter 2 only person. Cement needs to be consumed from the beginning, for God's sake. For God's sake, indeed. Full agreement, Rachel. Uh, it should be consumed from the beginning. And I'm glad there are at least two of us who've read both Farah and Limonov. 
I, maybe I can't say I'm glad after I introduced the whole list mm-hmm. thing, but mm-hmm. <laughs> for any other Frera Limona readers, we're not alone out there. I'm just happy that uh, somebody used the form on our website not to send actual spam. We get so much spam from the <laughs> website that our email only flags it as spam. Uh, so I have occasionally <laughs> there are actually funny things that get sent through or nice things or genuine questions that get sent through our website, but I have to wade through all the offers of either it's either SEO or, uh, like dating sites. Oh, is it the ones that are like the tagline is I promise. And you're like, promise what? And then it opened up like. <laughs> Hello, and the name of like whoever's registered to the website. Uh, as promised, here is a link to my naked photos. I am Anna, by the way. And you mouse over, it's like a little bit.ly link, and you're like, all right, this seems extremely legit. No, I mean, this one was, was a legitimate question, which is Tipsy Tolstoy, which is obviously what everyone calls me in real life. Can I find here sure. serious man? Question mark, smiley face. And I, I'd like to know, can, can she find here serious man? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> The, <laughs> the concept of this podcast requires two <laughs> fundamentally unserious men. Enough of this. I think um, we can move on to reading the list of patrons that are actually supporting yes. us. Supporting the serious men of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> New patron tier, very serious man. Very serious man. You can't actually give us money in that one. You just are required to mail us monthly copies of the underground notes from underground. Yes, very serious. <laughs> Anyways... Thank you, Jeff, Madeline, Anne, Janice, Daniel, Darren, Daniel, Jack, Paige, Jesse, Lou, Larkin, Irini, Branton, Allison, Cole, Elise, Mysterious, Donor Dude, Joanne, Yitza, Alex, Stephanie, Julie, Eli, Caitlin, Brett, Isaac, Austin, and Zachary. Podcasting isn't free, and grad school does really not pay very well. I keep saying it in, in hopes that maybe somebody will hear it and start paying me better, but... But they haven't. So if you want to join with our current patrons, head on over to patreon.com slash tipsy Tolstoy to help keep the show running and maybe just maybe help us get up to reposting three times per month. I guess just posting, not reposting. Well, you never know. (laughs) (laughs) The music used in this episode was Soviet March by Toasted Tomatoes. You can find more of their stuff on toastedtomatoes.bandcap.com and also on YouTube under the same username. If you're looking for other places to find us, you can also follow us on Instagram at Tipsy Tolstoy Podcast or join our email list on our website, tipsytolstoy.com. You'll hear from us again soon.